0: Okay, for a Christian to smoke or go to clubs? How about dancing? Welcome to Through the Bible. Today, we're in First Corinthians chapter eight, where Doctor J. Vernon McGee reveals to us the biblical principle for answering questions about what some people call these gray areas of the Christian life. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for another great study in God's Word today. Now, while you find your seat on the Bible bus, I got a few letters from our fellow passengers to share with you. First, we hear from a listener who joins us in his language of Arabic, and he says, I live in Egypt, and I've listened to your programs for more than a decade. I never get bored, and I'm always learning new things that draw me closer to the Lord. I pray that he will protect you and always bless your ministry. And we're praying that God will protect you as well, brother. Here's what a listener in Bali had to say to us. The word of God is such a help to me. I listen every day to your Indonesian program. Recently, you talked about wisdom from the book of Proverbs. I have learned that wisdom is more important than wealth. As a Christian, it is important that I am not foolish. I now strive to live as God's child. I am blessed by your teaching that always reminds me to bear spiritual fruit in my life. And then here's another letter. This is from a listener named Vivian from Miami. I live in the United States and I am bilingual. I started listening to the program in English at first. However, when I realized that you also teach it in Spanish, my mother tongue, I switched to Spanish because I feel more comfortable. I love to listen with your app on my phone. I feel God's word is always available to me. I pray your programs will multiply and more people will come to Jesus Christ as they learn about him through you. And finally, we hear from a listener named Lewis. This program has been a blessing to my life. I live in Canada, but I'm originally from Cuba. Glory to the Almighty for your teaching that is helping me in my call to ministry. I share your programs with many I know in Cuba and Canada. I see much fruit as people begin to understand God's word. They are often surprised that what once seemed so complicated becomes easily understandable. May the Lord continue to bless you richly. Well, if you'd like to join us in praying that God's Word will reach listeners in Spanish, English, Indonesian, Arabic, and more than the 200 other languages that through the Bible can be heard in, then you need to join our world prayer team at ttb.org forward slash pray. And personally, you know, it's been such a privilege and pleasure to join alongside thousands of other Bible bus passengers as we get to ask God, that he would take his whole word to the whole world. So I certainly hope that you'll sign up today. Again, it's ttb.org forward slash pray. And let's do that now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that tells us how we can live a life that pleases you. Please clear up any misconceptions that we might have and then help us to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Now here's our study in 1 Corinthians 8 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee.
1: Now, friends, we've come to the 8th chapter, First Corinthians, and deals actually with meat, whether we should eat meat or not, and the liberty that a child of God should have in this particular area. And this, I trust, will be very helpful as we look at what Paul has to say here, and also that we recognize that in this first section, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he calls them carnal, babes in Christ. And these things are carnalities that he's talking about. But here's where the church lives and moves and has its being today. And these are pertinent questions today because, well, it's a carnal church that we're in. And these become the important things rather than spiritualities. But we want to deal with them. Paul dealt with them. Now, this subject, I think, is just as controversial as the one that has to do with marriage and divorce. You see, diet is a fad with many people. And it's interesting that it's generally an essential part of the ritual of most cults and isms today. You find most of them dealing with diet. And a very interesting thing is that God gave to Israel certain restrictions about eating meat. The outward test of the animal was that part a hoof and chew the cud. That eliminated the pig, of course. He parts the hoof but doesn't chew the cud. And there's certain fowl that were designated by name as unfit for food. And you find over in the 14th chapter of Deuteronomy, it's also in Leviticus, where we find this list given. And you will find in verse 12, but these are they of which ye shall not eat, the eagle, the ossifrage, and the osprey. A friend of mine who doesn't believe that you should eat meat, he belongs to a cult that practices that, and he was discussing that with me, and I asked him one day, I said, have you ever eaten an ossifrage? He says, a what? Why well, says, an ossifrage. He said, don't even know what it is. Well, I said, you better find out what it is because you may come over to my house someday and I may serve you roast ossifrage. And if you eat it, you'll be just as wrong as you eat pork. Well, you know, he didn't know what an ossifrage was. He knew what a pig was, and he wouldn't touch pork. But he may have eaten an ossifrage. I hope not, because it doesn't look to me like an ossifrage, and an osprey would be very good to eat even. But the Lord put them outside the bounds of what his people could eat. Now, why did God give that to them? Well, he makes it clear. He says here, Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Ye shall not cut yourselves, nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all nations that upon the earth. Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing." And therefore, God prescribed their diet for them. And diet is important. There's a difference between pork and lamb. And even doctors today prescribe diet. Certain meats are out. Others are included. Now, will you notice some things here that we should, I think, say as a preliminary consideration? First of all, let me say as we get in this eighth chapter that doubtful and Questionable practices is the area we're in. Now, the Bible grants a permission for certain practices. There are certain things, though, that are positively all right. That's okay to eat that, given a green light. He never said prayer was wrong or singing was wrong, except when I try to sing, my wife thinks it's wrong for me to even try. But apparently you make melody in your heart. Teaching the word of God, I never felt under any conviction is wrong. And working with my hands, I never thought that was wrong. Now, the Bible forbids certain practices. The red light's put up there. There's no argument or question or doubt. God condemns drunkenness. No use trying to defend it, friends. There are those that won't argue today about whether you can drink wine as a Christian and that type of thing. All I can say to you, drunkenness is condemned. And you can't get drunk unless you drink alcohol, that's for sure. And the works of the flesh are manifest, Paul says. Uncleanness, fornication, these things are wrong. In fact, drugs is listed there. Now, the Bible is silent on certain practices. There's a between area, a gray area, and it's neither black or white certain questionable practices, doubtful things. It's one we don't know too much about. Let me just mention something, and I'll let you argue it. I'm not. Should a woman use makeup? What about the miniskirt? We probably could have taken that up in the last chapter, by the way. Is it possible to be a Christian and smoke? Now, I'm not answering that. All I'm trying to say is that these do come in the area of questionable things. Now, In my Southland, many of the churches say that mixed bathing is wrong. But smoking is all right. Out here on the West Coast, they think mixed bathing is all right. And believe me, it's mixed out here. But smoking is verbatim. You just better not, or you put out a certain circle. Now, you see, these are rules that have been put down by Christians They may be good or may be bad. I'm not even going to argue that today because I want you to see a great principle here. And then there's another preliminary consideration, and I want to develop this because this is important. If you miss seeing the background of this, you're going to miss the whole point. And it's simply this. The best place to eat in Corinth was not at Howard Johnson's, our Holiday Inn, our McDonald's, hamburger places, or some of these others. The best place to get meat was in the temple area, or a meat shop that was run by the temple. Now, you find in the city of Corinth, and that's the background, that people brought sacrifices of animals to offer. And they always brought the best, you see. But when that meat was offered to the idol, didn't stay there long because they figured that the spirit of the idol ate the spirit of the meat, so the meal is over. And so they just took the meat, took it to the marketplace, and in the shamels it was offered. The stalls were there where meat was sold. Now, if you wanted to get the best fillets and the best porterhouse steaks and the best prime rib roast in Corinth, you had to go to one of those meat shops. And that meat had been offered to idols. And the Corinthians wrote Paul that there were some there that were offended. They would be invited out for dinner to another Christian family, and they would be serving them a lovely fillet mignon. And during the course of the conversation, said, my, this is wonderful meat that you have. Where'd you get it? And then they'd say, got it up at the temple butcher shop, or the temple market. And they were offended by it. Oh, they wouldn't eat anything that was offered to idols. Now, Paul is going to discuss this question here. Should you eat things offered to idols like that? And that was the problem in Corinth. Because some of them, with that background, who'd come out of idolatry, they were offended by that sort of things. Others, well, it made no difference. Now, will you listen to Paul here as he discusses this problem in the city of Corinth? Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but love edifieth. Now, the whole point was this. Knowledge here blows up. That is sort of like a balloon <laughs> or like you pump up an automobile tire. But love doesn't blow up. It builds up. And love for God, then love for others. And love should be that which should judge our conduct and not always knowledge. Knowledge it puffs us up. And that is the grave danger today. A great many folk feel like that they know something, but they don't know all. And Paul makes that clear. In verse 2 of chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he says, And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. I had a man in a conference. In fact, we had had a marvelous service, and where about six young men had accepted the Lord. And he came up and he wanted me to break away from everybody and discuss with him the subject of election because he felt like it had come up in the sermon. It had not, but he thought it had and he wanted to discuss the subject of election. Now, I took a few moments to talk with him until I discovered he didn't want to discuss it. He wanted to tell me what he thought about election. Well, I listened to him, and I could discover that he had been reading on that subject recently and that he knew a few things, but he didn't know everything. And because he knew a few things, he thought he knew everything. And as I listened to him, I could picture this young preacher. That is, I'm not young now, but when I was young, I could picture this young preacher who went into a theology professor and wanted to tell him what he thought about election. And I thought I was telling the professor something. Well, I don't care what stage of spiritual development you're in today. You don't know everything about any subject, and I don't either. (laughs) We today are in the process. Paul could say that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering. Paul says on this basis now, We have a certain knowledge, and because we have that certain knowledge, why, we may be governed by it. But we ought to be governed by love and not by knowledge. Now, listen to him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. Paul says, now those of us that have knowledge, we all have knowledge, now that we've come to Christ and we have the word of God, we know today that an idol is nothing. And that's the way Paul spoke of idols. They're nothings. They're nothing. There isn't but one God. And so when you took that meat and offered it before an idol, that's nothing. (laughs) Nothing happened to the meat. It's not affected. It's not contaminated at all. In fact, that's where you get the best meat is that which had been offered there, but it's nothing, and therefore, the instructed Christian he could go and eat no problem. He went there and bought his meat. Now, will you notice he goes on to say here, for though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be God's men and lords men, there's a lot of idols about, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Now, these things are just merely called God. Now, yonder in the city of Corinth was the temple to Apollo. I've stood in the ruins of that temple, and not long ago, and as I stood there, I thought of this passage of Scripture. There had been stuff brought in, offered to Apollo. There's a big image, an idol of Apollo there. And that's nothing. (laughs) Whether the meat was brought in from the slaughterhouse and put in the meat shop or whether it was brought by this idol and put there for a little while, it wouldn't make any difference. An idol is nothing. An instructed Christian knows that. Just merely call God. Now listen to Paul now. But to us, there is but one God. To us today... And this is the affirmation now, Paul. Now, verse 7, how be it? There is not in every man that knowledge. You see, the fellow today that calls himself the spiritual Christian and the separated Christian is really the fellow that doesn't have the knowledge. Oh, he says you can't do that. May I say to you, well, what do you mean I can't do that? Well, he doesn't think you can. And there were those in Corinth that were offended by these people who invited them to dinner and then offered them meat that was sacrificed to idol. Well, they knew that idol is nothing, but these others, they're separated. They say, ooh, we wouldn't touch it. But their separation is not due to spirituality, it's due to ignorance. Paul says here, howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol, Unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. They are the weak ones. They are actually the carnal Christians. But they just are offended by that sort of thing, and they'd criticize you, or they'd gossip about you if you do that thing, you see. Now, Paul puts down here a great principle, and here it is. But meat commandeth us not to God, for neither, if we eat, are we the better, Neither if we not are we the worse. Now, meat hasn't anything to do with it. You remember Simon Peter was in that group. He'd been brought up certain things unclean. And when that sheet let down to heaven, and the Lord says to him, Rise, slay and eat. Simon Peter says, Not so, Lord. <laughs> Call him Lord, and at the same time not obeying him. He says, I've never eaten anything unclean. Lord says, don't you call anything unclean that I've called clean. No longer do I even make that distinction between clean and unclean animals. You need any animal you want to. If you want to eat it. Down in San Antonio, Texas, I'm told a rattlesnake. Now, if you're going to have rattlesnake for dinner, don't invite me over. Because really and truly, it's not that it has anything to do with religion. But it sure does have a lot to do with a weak stomach. I just don't think I could go that at all. It's a great principle. Whether you eat meat, whether you're not. Meat won't command you to God. You can do as you please in this connection. This is the liberty that a Christian has. Now, notice verse 9 here. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Now, it's not a question now of meat after all, is it? It's a concern for others. You have the liberty to eat it. But what about your concern for others? You have the knowledge, but what about the love? It may have an effect on a weak brother. Listen to this. For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit it meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which offer idols? I suppose that one of the reasons that Those of us in Christian service shouldn't do certain things. I'm confident I can go to many places today I don't go to. I really don't have much of a desire to go to them. There was a time when I loved to dance. But the minute that I started studying for the ministry in college, actually, the president of the ministerial student was president of the student body, and he led in the dances. And he tried to get me because he knew I'd been active in an organization before I accepted Christ, where I was chairman of a dance committee. Well, I told him, no, I couldn't do it. Now, is it wrong? I'm not going to argue that point with you at all, my friend, because it's not a question of knowledge. I think there are a lot of things I could do. I don't do them. Why? Well, it's on the other basis. I don't want to hurt my weak brother here next thing you know he may be out there you know dancing the fandango or whatever they dance today and i'm not going to be responsible for him at all because he's a weak brother you see now he says and through thy knowledge verse 11 now through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom christ died now you see we're on a different principle today it's not a question whether it's right or wrong Question about the effect on that weak brother, on that other fellow there, your neighbor. Now, you see, knowledge, after all, is a pretty dangerous thing. It's the way you use it. Now, what's the motivation? Verse 12, But when ye sin, so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. You're affecting him. And knowledge becomes a very dangerous thing. Now, listen to the last verse here. Wherefore, if meat, make my brother to offend, I'll eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now, he's going to be back at this over in the 10th chapter and 23rd verse, all things are lawful for me, all things are not expedient, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Now, don't tell me today that this wrong for me to do certain things. You tell me whether I'm going to hurt my weak brother or not. That is the motivation for Christian conduct. The motivation is love. You sin against Christ when we sin against a weak brother. This is not radical. You know, we can change this. And it's not an unwarranted use. If clothes make my brother to be offended, well, I'm going to wear no clothes. No, but I'm going to be very careful about the kind of clothes I'm going to do that. Should a Christian eat where liquor is sold? Should a Christian go to a show or to a dance? Well, the question is not right or wrong. Not a question of knowledge. It's a question now, my friend, about your effect upon your weak brother. And that's the thing that is all important. All things are lawful for me. The liberty of the Christian. He's not pinned down by legality. He's not circumscribed by strict rules of conduct. The liberty is limited by love. That's the important thing. And if I invite somebody for dinner, I don't want to serve something that's going to offend him, you see. I want to serve something that be a blessing to him. That's the way that Christian conduct. Is it right to eat meat? Sure. (laughs) Eat all you want, friend. Anything you want, you can eat. But what about your brother, your weak brother? What about that neighbor of yours? These are things that are important. Now we're going to come to the next chapter and pursue this great theme, Christian liberty. So until next time, may the Lord richly bless you, my beloved.
0: great resource to help you review this study and go deeper is our new Bible companion for 1 Corinthians. I think you're really going to like it. You can look for it in the resources section of ttb.org under free booklets. And as always, if you need some help locating it or if you need any other resource by Dr. McGee, call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or reach us by mail at box 7100 Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325. London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Christian freedoms have the potential to hurt fellow believers. So next time, we'll hear Dr. McGee consider what limitations we should set for the sake of others. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll save a seat on the Bible bus just for you. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.